0: Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of Ten Adventures, and this is the Ten Adventures podcast. Each week we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the Ten Adventures podcast. I think we've all dreamed about landing in a in a country or a continent and spending month after month exploring a new place on your bike. Today, I'm excited to talk to Lewis Levine, a cyclist who has cycled over 6,000 miles across 20 countries since June of this year. Hi, Lewis. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me on. I'm super excited about this journey because it just seems like such a bucket list thing just to like get on your bike and start riding and continue riding. Like, how did you start this trip? Like, what was the genesis of deciding to spend all this time on your bike? Well, you really summed it up well by by saying getting on my bike and riding, continuing to
1: ride. <laughs> because when I started this, I didn't have the intention to do a even, I mean, a week long or few week long cycling trip. I, I had a few months where I had flexibility in traveling. Uh, decided to start in Scotland in, in the Highlands, and I went up there with the plan to stay there for a couple of weeks and then head back to London, where I'm a student and needed to attend a meeting. Um, but when I was in Scotland, I was looking at the train price tickets to go back in a couple of weeks, and they were really, really expensive uh, because of rail worker strikes. Um, so in that moment, I decided to just bike back instead during the two weeks, instead of staying in Scotland for two weeks. And that's uh, kind of where the trip started. Uh, I planned on maybe going back to London and, and stopping there and, and then maybe taking a train and spending time elsewhere. But Enjoyed myself so much that I just decided to continue on from London and uh, went over the, the channel and, and the continental Europe and just kept going. Yeah. So it really was a trip of just continuing to ride.
0: <laughs> I think that's incredible. That's just like, just seizing the day and like, just, you know, being open to, to any experience. Have you done big bike trips before or like this was the two week bike trip going to be a big bike trip for you? Um, I, I had a really
1: interesting scenario this year. Um, I had my lease ending. Um, at the same time, my classes were all going remote or I could do all my work remotely. So I decided to take advantage of that um, starting in, in early June or late May. Um, so I did kind of a trial run. I, I did a combination of biking and taking trains to go to Andorra and spend some time there riding the Pyrenees, which was amazing. Um, and that gave me confidence to to pull something like that off again. Uh, when I came back to London, I'm gonna spend another week there. So when I went up to, to Scotland, I, I had two weeks of uh, bike touring experience, which was pretty much the past couple weeks. But uh, yeah, I felt pretty confident that I, that I could pull something off. and So it, it worked out really well. It worked out a lot better than I could have ever expected,
0: to be honest. So you were doing your classes while you were bike touring? <laughs> well,
1: uh, in this third term, um, I have just my dissertation uh, which is a really big undertaking, but, um, it's just uh data analysis and writing a full-length research report, uh, 10,000 words max. So it is big. Um, but yeah, I had my laptop with me. I'd ride for maybe six or seven days at a time and then take five or six days off either at a hospital or an Airbnb, pull out my laptop and get
0: some work done before continuing on. <laughs> so I was, I was really lucky to, to, to have that opportunity. I remember doing mine, and it was like nonstop for like week on weeks on end, like burning. You know, waking up early, working late. Uh, I never thought of doing the bike version, but that is a a way better strategy than what I did. I don't know. You're
1: smart because I'm in the last two weeks of my dissertation now, and it's crunch time, and I'm working a lot
0: (laughs) to get it done. But I have no no
1: regrets about spending extra time biking.
0: Uh, yeah, it's still spending three months uh, biking is uh, is totally worth it. So when you when you were like you made the decision you got to London you're like I'm gonna keep going. Like at that point, did you have goals of what you want to do or where you want to go, or is it just I'm gonna keep on going as long as it feels good?
1: Uh, well, at, at that time when I was deciding, uh, the Tour de France was uh, almost nearing. It was about a week away from from starting, and that's a bucket list thing to see the, the Tour de France in person for me. And I realized the timing could work out perfectly that I could bike into France and, and make it to watch a, at least a couple of stages. So when I got to London and made my plans for the next few weeks, that, that my plan was to watch the Tour de France. And my plans pretty much ended there. I, I had no idea what I was going to do afterwards. Um, either go back to London or continue on or maybe just stay in the area and work on my dissertation more. Um, so from London, I think, uh, yeah, I rode on to Luxembourg, uh, took a few days off there, um, and then rode down to the Alps, um, kind of close to the Chamonix area, um, and was able to watch three stages of the Tour de France, which was amazing.
0: Oh, wow. And what stages did you see? Did you see uh, Alpe d'Huez? Was that one of the ones And up on the the hairpins? No,
1: no, not Alpe d'Huez. Uh That that would have been too perfect of a trip. <laughs> um, no, I... I think I saw, um see, about stage 12, 13, and 14, some, something like that. So they were just entering the mountains um, for the first time. Uh, the stages after, um, they had a, a big mountaintop finish. It's a, it's a really different experience watching on TV versus watching it alongside the road. Uh, fun for different reasons, but yeah, it was
0: amazing to, to be able to take part in that atmosphere for a few days. And so just maybe going back, what kind of bike were you on? Were you on like a road bike with just like a tiny, you know, gear sack? Or were you on like a touring bike where you were carrying a ton of gear? Yeah, I was on a road bike. 2007
1: Trek Madone. Really nice bike. Carbon fibers, really light. But the downsides of that was like I couldn't attach any racks to the bike. Um, so, yeah, I had uh, my uh, sleeping bag on the, on the handlebars that fit nicely. I had a bag on my top tube. And then a, a pretty big seat under, or a pretty big bag under my seat, um, and then I
0: had a backpack as well to, to carry a few more things. In. I have a very similar setup, and I've always resisted like the backpack. It's n- it's not the best feeling uh, after a few hours. So were you like random camping, or were you staying in hostels or Airbnb's along the way? Yeah, so when I was working on my dissertation and taking a break from the bike,
1: I'd stay in hostels or Airbnb's. Um, the rest of the time, on the days I was riding, I would camp. Um, I think my breakdown was about a third of the time wild camping, two thirds, um, like wild camp just in the woods, and then uh,
0: two thirds of the time as staying at campsites. So, so what, what kind of tent did you have? Like, I'm just thinking trying to fit everything into that, that back, um, like, I think mine is like 12 liters or 10 liters. And it's like, you know, a massive thing that goes back behind the seat. But you have had a really, a really minimalist tent. Um, so my, my under the seat pack was 17 liters.
1: Um, so, uh, it, it fit a lot of my clothes. And then I'd also put my sleeping bag and sleeping mat in there. It couldn't fit much more than that. Um, my sleeping bag or my tent was a really small one person tent. Um, the size of the bag was like one and a half liters and it weighs about a a kilo and a half. So it's, it's pretty small and really light and easy to carry. Uh,
0: I think it's really interesting, you know, you, you had this, you know, great road bike. And most people are using kind of like hybrid touring bikes. And I I remember I was reading, I think you, you average like a hundred kilometers a day or over that during your trip. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's a good pace every day. And it was probably helped that you were essentially on a road bike. So you were just like, you know, 30% more efficient than people on, 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 you know, these kind of standard touring bikes. Yeah, that's for sure. I actually
1: averaged in kilometers over 160 Per day on the day. Okay, it
0: was a hundred miles a day then. I thought I, I thought it, was it 100 I said a hundred miles, and yeah, it was like six thousand kilometers. It, especially
1: riding riding through the Alps. Uh, I mean, I was so happy to be on a road bike. This makes it so much easier. I mean, I could have used easier gearing, but I mean, a carbon fiber bike going up huge mountains up to like you know seven eight thousand feet.
0: Uh, that was key. Uh, I have this discussion. My co-host Karen does tons of bike terrain. And, um, she's actually right now riding down from Canada, down the coast, down to California. And uh, we always had this debate. I'm like, Oh, being on a, on a, you know, on a touring bike, it's so slow. And I kind of like being on a road bike. And then she's like, it's nice to have all the luxuries on a touring bike that you can have every, everything you need. So it's interesting. You did this all on a road bike. I think that's super, super cool. Uh, doing this, were you on your own the entire time or did you have friends come and meet you? No, I did it all on my own.
1: Um, shared maybe a few miles or you know more than that with
0: some random cyclists along the way Um, but yeah 99 percent of it was all on my own and would you connect like at hostels or at campgrounds with other cyclists or was it kind of like a really solitary experience it was
1: i mean you know riding
0: eight plus hours a day
1: is pretty solitary but um, yeah at campsites there's always polite conversation between bicycle tourists there's always I always ran into to at least a couple, especially in the France area. There was a lot of people doing it there. Um, hostels were great, though. I, I really, really enjoyed that. It, even though there's not a lot of bicycle tourists there, I met maybe one or two along the way at hostels. There's a lot of people my age who are just traveling and have a very similar mindset. Um, and hostels are just a really fun way to meet people. Um, it, it's everybody's there for just a few nights. So it, it's easier to let loose and know that you're not going to be seeing these people for a long, long time. So for, I feel like
0: friendships are made more quickly at hostels and um, that, that made the trip a lot more fun in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it probably uh, impacted your ability to spend long days on your dissertation. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> it's very true. So once you cross over uh, into Europe, you go to, you know, go to the Alps to see the tour, Tour de France from there. Like, did you think, okay, I should just go back or like, what was the impetus to keep going? Like at any point, do you see, I'm just going to keep riding to September or was it like every day kind of, I might turn around today or I might, I might keep going? Yeah, it was kind of like
1: day by day thing. Um, I would have a general idea of what I wanted to do in the next week or two, but um, I planned out my routes, you know, sometimes even like an hour before starting riding in the morning um, about like where I was exactly going to go. Um, I remember having conversations with my parents along the way when they'd asked me what my plans were and I'd be like, well, I'm not so sure. Like I might go here next, but I'll see how I feel. I'll see what my progress is with my dissertation. I'll see, you know, you know just, just other factors. And yeah, I think once I got to the Alps and the tour, um, I'd already been to like six or seven countries, maybe more at that point. And it, it kind of became a, a, like a, the a thing of like, how much can I see during this time? How many countries can I visit and how much can I do while I have this this time off to really, travel around Europe with a bike? Um, so leaving the Alps, or uh, leaving France, I really wanted to go through the Alps more and spend more time there. So I ended up riding pretty much the width of the Alps um, uh, and
0: then uh, took my next break in Austria before planning my next move. I've always wanted to do a hike that goes through the Alps. So I'm interested on, on a bike. So what was your route? You You, you said you went to the Chamonix area. So how did you go through all the Alps and, and what other pl- places did you hit?
1: Yeah. So I guess I didn't really ride as much through the Alps, um, but I did a lot of climbing, uh, a lot of mountain climbing, um, my bike from that Chamonix area into Italy. So I went um, and I think I, my biggest day was like 12,000 feet of climbing, which is around 4,000 meters, which is a lot. Um, and that was a really difficult day. Um, I crossed into Italy in the Aosta Valley, um, which is, it kind of runs south of the Alps. And then from there, I took a fairly flat route north of Milan um, and just followed the Alps there uh, to skip out and then ended up going uh, north in Italy towards Balzano to kind of take a a long, gradual uphill route into the Alps again. So I didn't do a lot of, I mean, I didn't do any (laughs) off-road, like, gravel riding in the Alps, but, um, you know, just, just even riding along the width or the, just alongside the Alps was
0: special, just to be able to look over and see the mountains all the time, was amazing. You started in Scotland, you go down to London, you cross over, you go to Chamonix, you go down to the Austa Valley, go across, come up in Bolzano, where did you go then? Yeah, so I, I went up with, uh, to Bolzano into Austria and then
1: continued um, east, After taking a break, I I went to Slovenia um, and then Croatia before kind of turning north um, and then hitting um, a few more countries. I went to Hungary, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and then Poland, um, which was at that time, it was just like, these are a cluster of countries all in the same area that I know I can get to if I really push it hard on the bike and do a few big days in a row. Um, So that, that was really my main motivation was just to kind of check it off the list yeah, I've been here. I rode my bike through this country, um, which is kind of funny looking back. Um, but yeah, I ended
0: up in Poland and took my next break there um, in Krakow. Uh, and, for, and from there, I, I saw in your, your list of you know where, where you cycled, you then went up to the Baltics.
1: Yeah, that, that was a really special part of the trip for me. It's really where the, the trip took its final form. Because um, you know being, being American, like, it, it's hard to get to Europe. And when you do go to Europe, it's, it's a big trip. And you don't often get to travel around to multiple countries, let alone small countries like the Baltic countries. So when I was in Poland, deciding where to go next, and I realized I could make it up to Estonia, um, and Lithuania, and Latvia, um, it, it was really motivating to know that I I could see what these countries were like, um, and then also make my way towards the Scandinavian countries. Um, so yeah, I left I left Krakow and did about 800 miles in, in seven days to make it to Estonia. Um, where I took my
0: next break, but yeah, the Baltic countries were were a real highlight for me to be able to see that. As you're riding, are there you know what are the road conditions like in you know Hungary, Poland, the Baltics? You know, I, like I'm, I think a lot of people are familiar with cycling in the Alps or France or or Italy, where there's you know pretty good infrastructure. But but is it is it the same in in those kind of you know Eastern countries? It, it's hit or miss, um, and, and I really can't speak for the whole country for the part that I
1: rode through but um, uh, Lithuania and Latvia weren't great um, there weren't many roads and the roads that I did ride on were two um no shoulder and a fair amount of traffic on them because there weren't many roads so that wasn't great um, I didn't have a particularly great time in Hungary either just personally because I had about like five flat tires there um, and did a lot of like accidental gravel riding. Um, because uh, I planned my routes on Strava, which which worked out maybe ninety five percent of the time. Uh, the other five percent of the time, it took me on roads that weren't really roads. And in Hungary, I decided to take a chance and go on those
0: roads, but yeah, I ended up flatting <laughs> several times. Uh, I've never heard anyone use Strava for for kind of their planning. So so would you just be in a little village and see like what are the Strava routes around here and. And, and like just literally follow like one route that goes to you know a town hundred, 100 miles away, or would you try and like, would you have to like pick through different different routes and kind of build, build your own? Yeah, I was building my own. They have a, a nice tool, which I think is fairly new called the Route Builder, which
1: will let you create your own route. And what I liked a lot about that was you can see the heat map overlaid onto the map where you're creating the route. so you can see where people ride. Um, so I was using that as a guide as to like what the best roads for, for riding might be. So I would kind of pick a an endpoint of where I think I might be able to make it to that day. Um, and then um, just kind of work the route along the way along roads that look like they might be good for cycling.
0: I really like that because I know there's some other tools where it like plots your route for you. But then sometimes it puts you on like interstate highways when there's, you know, a nice like tertiary highway with no traffic. And it's like, why did I ride along the highway when there was like a bike trail? Five hundred meters away. Exactly, and I'd rely on Google Maps occasionally.
1: Google Maps is great for a lot of directions, but it it doesn't do a very good job with uh, safe and good cycling directions. Um, So (laughs) Strava was great in a lot of respects for creating routes. It just about five percent of the time I I was riding on like farmland or really rocky
0: roads, which wasn't great. But it it got me to where I needed to go. (laughs) So from the Baltics, you then go into Scandinavia. Like I don't even know. Do you have to take a ferry to to get into Scandinavia? Yeah, yeah. So I took four
1: ferries total on the trip, or maybe five. So I took a ferry from um, Estonia to Helsinki, um, and then I rode west from Helsinki to the west coast and took a ferry from there to Sweden, and then rode through Sweden and Norway and took another ferry from Norway to Denmark. Um so yeah, that, that that like week and a half was a mixture of ferries and, and riding. Uh luckily one of the ferries from uh Finland to Sweden was overnight. So that took care of accommodation for me for one night and uh allowed me to have a, another day of riding that I
0: didn't need to miss. Uh what a what an incredible incredible trip. And then was, was was that the end like you're in Denmark and you finish or did you uh did you still have have more riding in you in ya?
1: Yeah. I mean, when I got to Denmark, I was,
0: I was pretty exhausted. I
1: actually finished that leg of the trip in, in Hamburg. And that, that was my biggest stretch of riding. I did over 1,100 miles in 10 days. Um, and and that was like with the accumulation of fatigue from the rest of the trip too. So when I got to to Germany after passing through Denmark, I was pretty tired. Um, but, uh, I, I had another six days of riding to get back to London. Um, which, which was really easy to get through because I, I didn't really want the trip to end. So even though I was
0: tired, I was,
1: I was still really enjoying each day that I
0: had left. And so, and so you you rode all the way back into like right into, you know, your flat or an Airbnb in London? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, with my lease ending back in May, I, I no longer have a place here in London.
1: So um, I'm renting an Airbnb uh, right now. But yeah, the, the, the main goal I had for the trip was to, to not take any train transportation. So, uh, you know, I allowed myself ferries because that was like a obvious necessity to get across like those seas. But yeah, I didn't I didn't want to skip out on, on any riding that I might be able to do on land. So it was all by by bike and ferry.
0: What a circumnavigation of Europe. You kind of saw the Mediterranean, you saw the Baltics, you saw Scandinavia, you saw Scotland way up north. in um, every place you went, are there any places that like just really blew you away for like you know, beauty or like surprise you or, you know, you're already thinking about going back?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think
0: I expected the Alps
1: to be amazing and they definitely lived up to my expectation. I mean, they're, they're beautiful and massive mountains. I really, really enjoyed that. But there are a lot of other countries that I I didn't really know what to expect. Um, Norway is really high on my list of places that i really like to go back to. I felt like I only saw a small portion of that country um, and I'd love to go more into the north, where there's bigger mountains and better looking fjords, apparently, um and maybe not rush through it like I did uh, this trip. I think one of the biggest surprises for me though was how fun it was to ride in the Netherlands. Um, I knew the country would be really flat, and I didn't think it would be very exciting, but how they prioritize bike lanes there makes it like really, really fun to just ride your bike. I mean, they prioritize bike lanes over roads, so you never have to go through intersections. There's always a really nice wide paved path to ride on. And so many other people are on their bikes as well. It just it just felt like a really inviting place to ride. Um and it also has some cool cities to pass
0: through. So I, I really enjoyed that. That was one of the surprises of the trip for me. As you're doing this, like it seems like you were really like time sensitive. Like like it, it seems like like you mentioned it was very rushed. Like were you feeling pressure to, to complete it? Like or were you able to like just kind of re- sit back and relax and enjoy it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of it did feel rushed. At the same time, though, like
1: I really like endurance challenges. And this trip also felt in part like a challenge to, to pull this off and also ride a lot every day. So I was rushing through it, um, but but I also got a, a lot of enjoyment out of riding a lot every day to finish the trip. I, I think especially around halfway when I realized I could go to the Baltic countries and then move through the Scandinavian countries back towards London, um, I, I realized that I'd have to kind of get that done quickly if I wanted to be back to London in time um, to to finish my dissertation and have that all done. Um, so
0: from there, it, it did feel a little rushed, but I definitely enjoyed every part of it. You, you've done your tour in kind of a different way from a lot of people do in that you're doing big distances every day, you kind of have a minimalist approach. Uh, you're also stopping for like these longer breaks kind of where maybe your body can recover, but you're still under pressure, you know, trying to write your dissertation, being in a fun, hostile environment in doing it your way. Like, is there any gear that you think, you know, for you, it's really great that maybe your average tour m- might not be using. I,
1: I don't think so. Cause there's a lot of gear that I thought in the moment would be nice to have <laughs> because I did travel very minimalistically. Um, I, I really only had clothes and to uh, put like a tent and bag and sleeping mat, I definitely wished a lot of times that I had a rack
0: uh, on my
1: bike instead of a backpack and also maybe something to cook food in. So I wasn't so reliant on, um, grocery stores or restaurants for food at night, but yeah, I don't think there, there was anything that I had that was particularly unique that other tour, bicycle tourists wouldn't have. Um, maybe like my strategy to use Strava and the heat maps to plan routes, um, but I think a lot of people end up following already established um, bicycle
0: routes through Europe, so it might not be so much of an issue for them. You did a uh, some ride in Andorra, and you kind of stumbled into this. Do you feel like this trip has changed you? It, in some ways, yeah, I think it has. Uh, I think it's made me more confident in myself,
1: but also what I can do. I mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty in traveling and bicycle touring because things could break down, or you know, it, it's just difficult I and mean, Doing it alone as well, it it feels almost particularly challenging because I don't have anybody else in the environment to rely on. But um, it kind of taught me that I I can handle this. And even if I'm not so familiar with bike touring or or I don't know if I can do it all, I I, I did it. I was able to do it. Um, I think that gives me confidence moving forward to to tackle new challenges. I think in some other ways, it it made me more secure with myself. Like a A lot of people don't really get like endurance, sports, or maybe what I was doing, uh, maybe they can understand the travel aspect, but I really enjoyed it. And I've met some people along the way who, who have similar interests and they made me realize that what I'm doing, you know, I, I can do because I enjoy
0: it. I don't have to truly really think about um, other people's opinions about it. Oh yeah. You know, as you, as you're talking, I was thinking, I, I watched this video on these uh, New Zealanders that rode the Tour de France, I think it was one day before or one day in advance. And they're all kind of in their fifties. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, it's a YouTube video. It's, it's great. Uh, but they all say like they wouldn't have most of them would not have done it if they hadn't have been in a group because there's, you know, you always have a day where you bonk or, you know, your body can't go again and after again. And it's like, it's the group that gets, gets them going. Um, and it's much more difficult to do it yourself because when you feel shitty one day, there's no one saying, Hey Lewis, like, we're all going to get, get, you know, 100, 160 kilometers today. Uh, are, are you naturally like really self-motivated? Were there days where you're like, Oh, I I don't, uh, my body's dead. I don't want to do it. Uh, like how, how did, how did, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think, I think
1: I'm, I'm very self-motivated, especially when it comes to endurance sports, uh, running, cycling, swimming, track on whatever. Um, so even on days where I was really tired in the morning, I, I don't really find it hard to, to gather the motivation to get up and start riding. It's difficult for sure. And there are, there are some low moments along the way, but, I, I don't know, there was something always in me that that I feel like I almost didn't give myself the option to not do it. It it was almost like I wake up and think like, okay, like today I'm gonna pass through Warsaw, Poland and and then find a campsite after that. It'll be hundred plus miles on the day and then I'll get ready to do it again tomorrow. And there they're really I didn't really give myself an alternative sometimes. Um but but I think a lot of times what I was missing in having somebody there was just somebody to confirm. Uh, something or you know ask for advice on maybe like a campsite like hey do you think this this campsite in the woods will be okay or like, hey when do you think we should stop for food or like what do you want to eat or just something to, to someone to bounce ideas off i, I think would have
0: would have been nice in a lot of cases <laughs> or even just have someone to make some decisions because the way you're doing it you have hundreds or thousands of decisions like actually I just don't want to make a decision and you know someone else just saying let's do this it's like oh yeah finally I can just go with the flow um so so you've done this this incredible trip are you already thinking about your next trip or you know are you just kind of still processing you know what you just did yeah I think in a lot of ways I'm processing what I just did I I finished a little less than a week ago so
1: I, I still feel some like residual fatigue definitely from the trip but yeah, in my mind like gears are turning about you know what I could possibly need to do next. For the time being, though, like I, after I finish my my degree, I'm gonna hopefully find a job that I can apply it to and commit myself to that a little bit. But I, I have a feeling in just a matter of days, even I'm gonna I'm gonna really start thinking about what I could do could do next, and especially related to bicycle touring. I, I think before I did this trip. I wouldn't have really thought that I'd be capable of doing this um, and riding through a lot of the countries that I did. Um, and, and it definitely opens my eyes up to a lot of other trips that people have done in Europe or Asia that that now seem like, mm-hmm, like maybe I could pull that off and that would be like an incredible adventure. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think I'll uh, suddenly stop wanting to do these adventures anytime soon
0: uh this is uh this has just been great to hear the story and i'm just so excited that it's a road bike you know not heavily laden because i've always been thinking you know what's the difference and having not done a massive bike tour even on a on a regular bike uh you know i'm 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 excited to hear your experience uh so i just want to say thanks for being on the podcast lewis yeah thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun and uh, you have a great YouTube video, uh, our YouTube channel with some of your videos. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes if people want to get an idea about like what a day on, you know, on your tour is like. And, uh, and with that, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures. <laughs> Listen to other episodes of the 10 adventures podcast on Amazon music at amazon.com tenadventures We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10 adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.